Baseball has arrived, pitchers and catchers, this week as you're listening to this episode of Behind the Mic. It will be a baseball-themed podcast today. My guest will be Tyler Murray. He's one of the broadcasters for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. That is the AA affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays. In the former Eastern League, the, uh, the new minor leagues was released this week as Major League Baseball renamed all of the leagues. It's the North North uh, New Hampshire is now in the Northeast uh, Division of Double A. I worked in Portland with the Sea Dogs for 15 years. Tyler and I uh, became very good friends. We share some good stories in this, including my horrible memory that Tyler interviewed for an assistant position that I had with the Sea Dogs, and I totally forgot. So embarrassing. That's what happens when you get older. You get close to 50. So. Make sure you like, subscribe, share. You can watch this interview on YouTube as well. Be thankful for Anchor FM. They're the platform that makes this happen. So appreciative of them and really think you're going to enjoy this episode of Behind the Mic. Here's Tyler Murray. Tyler, great to see you, man. Mike, I'm so glad you asked me on here. This is big for me, okay? The same podcast that had Susan Waldman, Josh Maurer, Dave Wilson. I mean, to be in that group, uh, it means a lot. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. So were you a Yankee fan growing up? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I was born in uh, Riverside, Connecticut, about half an hour from the Bronx and maybe two and a half hours from Fenway. So everyone asked, well, New England, how are you a Yankee fan? Um, and the real nail in my Yankee fan coffin was we moved to Mass when I was seven. And I was young enough to be impressionable. So I loved Nomar and yeah. Fenway Park. But all my new friends in Massachusetts hated the Yankees so fiercely that I was like, you know, I'll stick with my original team and my family team. So that's that's how I wound up staying with the Yankees. Yeah, and if you go uh, deeper dive, the history of those two, I mean, I think it's settled down a little. I mean, it used to be a war between those two cities. That's what that's what I miss the most, I think, about being a young baseball fan. Like, my entire mood for a week would be determined by if Rivera struck out Big Poppy in a big spot yeah. or if Jeter came through with the big hit. Like, those games – all day long in class, I'm looking forward to it. I'm pacing around the room all nine innings. It was it was so much fun. Yeah. You know, it's crazy about Susan Waldman that you brought her up is you don't realize that she's a pioneer. I think she it's almost like you forget what she's done for women in sports. It's it's really impressive. And we've been lucky enough to to know a few of them more recently as well in the Eastern League. But it's uh it's interesting because Sometimes you hear people who don't really know her full story, like poke fun at times, like the Roger Clemens in the box, which is a great memory for me and a lot of Yankee fans. But she is just so good at her job. And what what I think helped people realize how much she means to baseball. Do you remember when she sung the national anthem and Garrett Cole kind of, that was an old bet they had. If you come to the Yankees, I'll sing the anthem. Just the respect that maybe the best pitcher in the game showed her. I think a lot of people realize that Susan's a pretty big deal. Both of them. I mean, John Sterling, uh, Susan Waldman, I, I say baseball is a big reason why we do what we do because we were inspired, but the impression that the Yankees had on you, the Red Sox had on me, I know that's what made me want to do broadcasting and work in baseball. I'm sure the same for you. Yeah, I guess it was high school for me when I came <clears throat> home every day and was reading the game stories on MLB.com, the previews for the game and then the recaps. And I realized it was all being written by one guy for that side. It was Mark Feinsand yeah. who's been all over baseball. I'm like, oh, so this guy's whole job is to just cover this team. That sounds amazing. That's really the first time I realized it was a a profession. So I went to uh, Boston University originally to be a sports writer, uh, but then radio was something my my friends were doing. So I kind of 
tried that out and it, it became a natural fit. I liked in your bio that you said your first job was a janitor at a hardware <laughs> store in high school. That's yes, sir. Medfield, Massachusetts, master's <laughs> touch. Um, it was like a showroom and a hardware store, a kind of a contractor's uh, headquarters and just trying to keep the kitchen looking nice. It was uh, yeah. a good way to learn the initiative. Like, what can I do next? What can I clean next for you? So it was, it was all right. That whole process when you're finding yourself in college, I think is a lot of fun. I know that I just started getting some confidence when I was doing work. And, and like yourself, you, it looks like you had a pretty good start collegiately doing radio. Yeah. Con confidence is interesting because I certainly wasn't gung-ho about my radio abilities in college. I was nervous to even go walk down to the station and I guess try out. And I, I always think back to when I was deciding what college to go to it was either Syracuse or, or BU. And Syracuse, I, I chose BU because I wanted to be in a city, internships, you know, all the sports coverage there. Uh, Syracuse was just so intimidating to me. And talking yeah. to a few grads, it just sounded so competitive right from the start. Like if you're not good, then it's going to be really tough to kind of get reps and get innings, I guess, in the baseball sense. So I got lucky with BU because sure it was competitive, but there wasn't really that intense structured lineup where I was able to do uh, softball my freshman year. And that really kind of set off a trajectory to the Cape league. And then uh, from there, but uh, I probably would be better at broadcasting if I went to Syracuse, but maybe I wouldn't have got the same opportunities. You know, I got in there too, but I just couldn't afford it. My parents are like, sorry, we can't. Right. We can't I, I, yeah. I, uh, my, my two cousins had gone to Syracuse before me in different fields. So there was uh, not an expectation, but like, okay, if you want to yeah. go there, that makes sense. I don't know if you went through this, but I remember my first year of college when all these kids had already been on the air for four years in high school. And I'm saying, man, <laughs> I've never been on the air. Yep, yep. These that kids was have been on for four years. I'll give you one. Uh, Alex Reamer was on yeah. WEI for a while. He emailed me my senior year at BU. I was a uh, I was a sports director of the radio station. So he emails me, says, hey, I'm a new freshman at BU. I've uh, been on Jay Leno because of my Red Sox podcast from when I was 12 years old. So could I, you know, do a sports show for you guys? I said, uh, duh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's better than me on the air talking about the, the topics of the week. So yeah, he was the first time I realized, wow, I probably should have started this way earlier. So that, yeah. was, a, that was an eye-opener. The path in this business is just insane. I mean, I think in all entertainment facets, I mean, maybe some of the best singers never make it to the promised land, actors. But broadcasting, I mean, radio is, who knows? I mean, there's no book that says you got to do it this way. I, I think if you're just yourself, that's what I've always tried to do. <laughs> you know, the, the, the best advice I got was from... I think a combination of Sean McDonough, who a family friend had me on a on a phone call with, very very nice of him to give me his time, and then uh, Alex Faust, who does the L.A. Kings games. Yeah, probably the best young broadcaster I can think of right now. Um, they it, they just said, don't worry about what this is going to sound like on a demo tape. Just sound like you, be you. When I was younger, I always tried to, well, how deep can my voice get? You know, how dramatic yeah. can I make this? So when I realized like, hey, this is fun. Let's enjoy this hockey game. Let's enjoy this baseball game. Once I started getting into that mindset, maybe it's a coincidence, but that's when a, a few more doors started to open up. And I, I always felt a little bit better looking back at my stuff because yeah. oh, you can tell I'm having fun and not, not trying too hard just to sound right. Yeah, no. And it's tough because you see other people successful and you think, well, their formula must be the right one. So tell us how you got that first break in professional baseball. That's, that's a good question. A baseball winter meetings. 
I was terrified. I still have like anxious flashbacks to Dallas where it was 40 <laughs> degrees, which blew my mind. Yeah, uh, it was it was December. So I guess it makes sense. Me and three friends from college flew down there, crammed ourselves into a hotel room. And everyone's telling us nonstop, hey, you got to network, you got to go to the bars, you got to talk to people. And I'm like, oh, geez, like that's the last thing I, I'm comfortable with. But, you know, I kind of forced myself out there and talked to a few people and ran into uh, Robbie Aaron, who's still a mentor for me. He's hiring a number two broadcaster for the Daytona Cubs. And uh, he, they were hiring two broadcasters, fortunately. And he told me years later that it came down to three people for two positions. And uh, I guess he passed a hat around the office with our three names in it, picked two out of there. And I was the one left out, but one of the guys said no. Wow. <laughs> so, they hired, so they hired me. Uh, and it was a, a Cape League connection and some <clears throat> Photoshop ability that they needed that kind of helped me uh, become at least a finalist. So like, like many other stories, I, I obviously got very lucky. Yeah. For those uh, listening that don't realize minor league baseball, we wear, no pun intended, a ton of hats. And, and, and Tyra and I have been friends for a while from my time working in Portland and I'd always see you running around. I, you know, I, I used to love, that's the best part of being a road broadcaster is when you go in your booth and you see the other guy with his head cut off because <laughs> I had just done that for seven previous days. Yeah. You know, I, I traveled a lot more in Florida. We have a nice system up here where uh, Tyler Zickel is uh, the guy who travels the most, but I know exactly what you mean. I always felt more prepared on the road. Road broadcasting is kind of like living the dream, right? Yeah. Like, okay, my job is to get to the ballpark, do an interview, make sure I know the storylines and, and call the game. So yeah, that, uh, it's, it is interesting. All the, all the hustling we do on, on game days, but, Silver lining is I'm never sitting at my desk kind of like, okay, how much longer till I have to leave? It's like, I got to get this stuff done. So it's like you need more hours. Doesn't exactly. it feel like that? Yeah. Yeah. So it, ne it never goes by slow. You're currently in, in New Hampshire. And I wanted to bring this up because you and I had probably an historic day together. Uh, remember the day that MLB network was there with, with Vlad yes. and he hit that home run that that's one of those home runs that I know years later, some of the guys we're bringing up, you should have seen this home run that he hit in this ballpark. And I, I would tell the guys, yeah, I was here, you know, you were too. And no one would believe how far that went. <laughs> yeah. This was the one off the hotel, right? Yeah. I think off Cozart, Jake Cozart, I believe. Yeah, that was, yeah. that was the second of the game and they actually cut into either Monday night baseball or whatever it was on ESPN that night to say, Hey, quick check in the minor leagues. Here's Vlad jr. Hitting one off the hotel. So, I mean, and it, became a key piece of the MLB network documentary they did on Vlad. So yeah, yeah people ask a lot as, as they should, like, what was it like to cover that team and, and a player like that? And it's, it's tough to kind of quantify it, but I think a moment like that, that was one of many where you just realized uh, this is the best we're ever going to see in a minor league team and <laughs> probably won't get better uh, going forward. So we tried to just enjoy every minute with those guys. Yeah. I mean, I remember him doing all that extra work at like noon that day, right? He was there. Yes. Yeah. So he was, so he was a lot of third base work defensively as part of his actual regimen, but Carlos Pena yeah. who's a, a Haverhill mass guy. He came out and they're actually doing it for a kid's show. I forget the name of it, but Carlos Pena hosts a Saturday morning MLB network kids show. And it's kind of fun. They can mix in some Spanish education. They can do some baseball slang and they got on camera, uh, Vlad hitting a home run off of the tee. 
He yeah. went opposite field over the right field fence, and he called it before he did it off the tee. So Carlos Pena has hit like, what, 400-plus home runs in his life. He's going crazy. He's like, how did you just do that? And then Pena gets up there, tries to do it himself, and he gets nowhere close to hitting a home run off the tee. So we uh, we luckily – I was there to get the video, and we posted that. I think that's still the most viewed uh, video in our team's history on social media, just Vlad hitting a home run yeah. off the tee. Yeah. You know, speaking of what magic to have all those great players, but they were all sons of great players, which what are the odds of that? You know, is that now something that uh, teams are going to think of? Maybe the DNA is we part always, of scouting. <laughs> we always joke about it. Like, it's like Jeff Conine's kid has been drafted yeah. lately. We had uh, Casey Clemens, I think one of two or three Roger Clemens uh, offspring that's been through the Blue Jays system. So it gets people excited. But what I was really impressed with is uh, Kevin Biggio, most of all, because he had a really had a bad year in Dunedin the year before. He had around 200, and people were saying, oh, is this kid just here because of his name? And Kevin always said, maybe we got drafted because of our names, but you don't make it to double A just on name alone. And, and he really yeah. he won MVP of the league that year, so he, he silenced a lot of doubters. And I, what, what do you think about this, Mike? Maybe we'll start the season on, on May 4th. I think a report came out today for double A. So May the 4th. Uh, Star Wars night usually. Yeah. What about I am your father night, and we yeah, celebrate yeah. all the former Fisher Cats uh, player dads. You know that is <laughs> that. If you have you pitched that yet? Uh, yeah. So I always mix it in with a bunch of really bad ideas. That's kind of my thing, and hopefully they find the the cream rising to the top. But we'll see what they say. No, that is that is perfect. You have to do that. Glad you like it, man. Yeah, you have to. So would you do the the kids in Star Wars outfits? Yeah, maybe, maybe it's, that's the thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm good at coming up with the title, but then I got to fill in the blanks for the actual concept. You but. could do three different posters that had like Darth Vader as Vlad senior. You know, I don't know if you want to mess with that. No, that's a very good idea. That's you know, a good idea. See, I wish I came up with it before like yesterday because we're yeah. box ticking. Yeah. That's good stuff. So I don't know if I ever asked you how you got to New Hampshire. Yeah, it was, uh, I did three years in Florida as, a seasonal broadcaster so one with the Dunedin Blue Jays or, or two with the DJs and then it wound up being two in Daytona they became the Tortugas in 2015 yeah. the aforementioned Robbie Aaron had moved up to double a so I went to take his full-time job so that was my first full-time year in Florida so I put my uh, future wife through a full year of just long distance instead of hey I'm going to leave for six months I'll come back we made it work but yeah. that full year just being being away that was it took a lot out of us. So even, I mean, that was a fun year. We went to the championship, lost on a bases loaded walk in the 13th inning to Greg Caserta's uh, Charlotte Stone Crabs, uh, the championship round. That was wild. Uh, so I said, you know what? I'm going to head back home um, and still work in minor league baseball. And as you know, there are very few options in New England. You've worked for the majority of the teams up here somehow. Impressively yeah. enough. So I uh, went to another baseball winter meetings and I sought out the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. So I, I'd been in touch with Tom Gothier for a while and I said, uh, you know, hey, if there's anything ever open, I'm, I'm in your system as a Blue Jays guy, let me know. Um, and then it turned out that he was leaving right around the time I was coming up to to just work for the Fisher Cats as a, a graphic designer and production guy. So that that timing just just worked out great. Um, yeah. So probably the luckiest I, I've, I've been in the industry for sure. Yeah, I knew Tom and Tom worked for me. And I know that he had hit about had it, you know, to do this lifestyle because he was married with kids and Oh yeah. It's grueling. Yeah. It, yeah. You could. Uh, so I spent, I was lucky to do this. I spent a month in the office with him as he was starting his new job with the children's hospital at Dartmouth. Yeah. So he's doing awesome work. Yeah. He's great. Um, 
So he was so nice to be able to walk me through everything. And I asked him a couple of times, so, you know, what, what should I look out for to try to enjoy it and maybe not get burned out like it sounded he was. But, but again, with the, the family, I mean, my, yeah. my wife and I don't have any kids yet. So that's always part of the discussion. Like, yeah, do I, do I want to have kids if I'm not going to be able to see them all summer? So he just, he just got a little bit tired of my understanding was running, running around during home games and you show up in the booth and uh, we're lucky to have Bob Lippman as the best legendary broadcaster, yeah. in my opinion, in, in, in the Eastern league and beyond. Yeah. Uh, but you just kind of scramble all day and maybe you can only get a little prep done. So that, that, that definitely can grow frustrating. So I see where he's coming from, but you got to find a, a balance however you can. Yeah. Yeah. For those who know, don't know that most of broadcasters are the media relations director. So right. we're talking about Tom's schedule. You know, you're there 8.30, 8.45 in the morning. You go home at 10 at night. There's people listening out there that said, no, 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 thank you. You know, you have, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have family. I don't think I could have done it with kids. There's no way. Yeah. He did it for a while with yeah, like one daughter. Yep. And that's where the, that's where the road uh, travel format in New Hampshire started. I believe it was, you know, lead broadcaster just as the home games. And yeah, you know, it's something I've had to get used to, but uh, it's led to some great people joining our organization like uh, Tyler Zickel, who you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also it's led you to do a ton of stuff for Nesson and ESPN plus and all that. Yeah, that's 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 been something that has helped um, keep me uh, motivated to keep working and trying to find a way to to just get more work. And that's I mentioned earlier, just things started opening up a little more when I stopped worrying about how the demo tape sounded, because um, when it comes to networking, um, I always felt that just doing a good job where you're at, if you if just a few people might be able to hear you instead of you can email people and mentors and people you look up to and find out where they got to they are, where they're at and learn from them. But it's always tough to get a recommendation for a job unless someone's worked with you or, or seen your work and, and knows what kind of person you are. So sure. I was lucky uh, that the first time I ever met Jay Burnham, who was uh, the Flying Squirrels broadcaster, as you know, he just said, hey, man, I'm a, a big fan of your work. And that was kind of like my dad always said, you never know who's listening, you know, make sure you're doing a great job. And I'm like, okay, is anyone listening to yeah. A-Ball Blue Jays in August? Like, come on. But uh, as you move up a little more exposure um, and we're in such a great league that everyone listens to each other. So we, maybe he caught a good inning or so, like who knows, but the fact that he thought I, I was capable has led to some stuff with UMass where he now works and hires the broadcasters. And then Adam Giardino, yeah. uh, our, our great friend, he was the Dartmouth football broadcaster and hockey. He moved on to UConn as alma mater. He's doing great there. And when they asked him, hey, who should we call to fill in for you in Dartmouth? We said, well, Tyler Murray's already in New Hampshire. So that's where I, I just, there's different forms of networking. I mentioned at the baseball winter meetings, I was a little uh, nervous to go talk to people like, hey, I'm someone you've never heard of. Do you like me? <laughs> Can I have a job? You know, so it's, it's, it seems more productive or easier for me anyway to do a good job, hopefully have people notice and again, continue to have good fortune. Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't, I don't subscribe to the theory that it's all you, who, you know, because you can still know people and not recommend them. The people that you know, that (laughs) recommend you like you as a per, you know, cause they, they, you know, it's risk for them, you know, for Jay, if he's the guy and he says, no, I think this guy should fill in and and you're not good. Then it it goes to him. That's, that's a good point. And it it started with UMass two years ago, they were desperate for a, a hockey announcer on a Friday night and 
he he just happened to know that I did Dartmouth hockey. I don't I don't think he'd ever heard me do it. So he kind of, he took a risk. So that's yeah. and that's when you're on short notice. You kind of have to it sometimes. Yeah, you're too modest. You're great, man. I'll I'll tell you what, Mike. We I skipped over the part. Do you remember when I interviewed for your number two position in 2011? Probably not because I'm so, old. <laughs> I so I like many guys my age and younger and older. Oh yeah, you uh, came I, up. You came up, right? Yeah. So I drove up. I was yep. I had zero baseball experience in the affiliated ranks besides softball in college in the Cape League. Yeah. So I was I was like over the moon that I even got a chance to interview with you guys. And you wound up hiring Dan Atchison, who was terrific because he went well, up because just because of this, but he had a year with the Daytona Cubs yes. on his resume already. So I said, okay, let me get a year of my own with the Daytona Cubs. So I can work <laughs> with Mike. Yeah. So it, it was just a, a cool full circle thing. And I remember I said, you guys asked what my weakness was. And I said, I like to just put all the work on myself and not delegate. And I thought that sounded cool. Like I'm going to get all the work done, but then you had a really good response that I, I stuck with me. You said, well, this organization, this industry is about trust. You have yeah. to trust your teammates, put them in a position to succeed and you have to have faith they'll get it done for you or you're going to get buried. So wow. that's something that, that stuck with me. So thank you for that. And uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to interview because when we met as colleagues, I guess, I don't really think of us that way because I think, I just think of so much of you, uh, you were just like, Hey man, welcome to the league. I, I think you're good. Great to talk with you. I was like, Whoa, this is for me. That was like, if John Sterling said that to me, <laughs> you know, I was like, Oh my God. So you, you've always been the best to me. So thank you, Mike. Yeah. Well, of course I have a bad memory at times. <laughs> Oh, I mean, you guys, you had a new intern every year, basically, right? So I Yeah, mean, I know that we had, like, there were years there in Portland where we just, we needed someone who had experience. I think that's why Dan, oh, of course, because they, they were going to be doing a lot of the media with the website and all that. And that's always became like a full-time job, those guys. Exactly. And it was, it was studio work and yeah, the, the names that you have on that, on that resume for your tree is incredible. Yes. And you know what, you know who I really wanted to work there was Mike Monaco. I, Mike had reached out Smart. when he was at Notre Dame and I was blown away by Mike, but again, he didn't have any professional experience, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, I've gotten some, like Mark Bertrand applied for that position, you know? Really? Uh, 90, yeah. What about um, Aaron Goldsmith? Yep. Aaron was, yeah. So Aaron worked. Yeah. The guys that worked for me would have been, well, Tom. Yep. Sure. Uh, yeah. Chris Fama. You don't probably don't know Chris. Chris was my assistant 06. He's working at BZ now. Oh, very doing, nice. like news and all that. So I, I credit to me. I, I knew where to go. I knew that yeah. job to working for Mike was the way to start your career. Yeah. Aaron. Um, why am I forgetting people? Well, Aaron's um, the voice of the, the Mariners on the radio. Yep. Matt McCarthy, who's working at 98.5. Yes. Ben, Ben Ultra, who's a, of course, a PA voice of the Fisher cats, a great broadcaster as well. Yep. So yeah. We've had good, good employees. I mean, that's a great spot too. So yeah, it's Portland. Portland is, awesome. Yeah. You always treat us so well there. And um, it's, it's interesting how the, I went, was it, was that a paid position or is that college credit or how did that work? Yeah, it was paid, but wasn't paid a lot. Then it became full-time seasonal. And then okay. there were federal laws that made it just a, like an hour and a half before the game. Yep. I remember down in Daytona. My first year there, I was an unpaid intern who got to do some radio and we got paid by cleaning up the stadium for 50 bucks a night. Yeah. Miserable. Not even close to worth $50 a night. But 
those laws came in and teams like that went from literally 20 unpaid interns, just an army of free labor to maybe five. And that really hurt the operations. And it does, I guess it's a good sign for people trying to get into the industry. There is some pay involved, but uh, yeah. this is where this is where our mutual friend Adam Giardino is a, a hero to me and to many for realizing that there needs to be additional compensation. So his, his black play-by-play broadcasters fund yep. has been uh, such a good idea. So I'm yeah. really glad that's happening. There should be more. Uh, we, I mean, I don't know how letting people work for free was even something that, you know, when you're in this business, it's hard to say anything. Yeah. yeah no, it's, it's hard to say no, especially at a young age. Yeah. Like, hey, do you, <laughs> do you want to call, you know, the, who did we have? I was a year before, but the next year was Chris Bryant, Albert Almora, Javi Baez with the Cubs at Jackie Robinson ballpark. So that's just kind of how, how it was. It's how you did it. So yeah. uh, there, there wasn't really any alternative, at least for me anyway. No. And, and there's so few jobs. So you say no, yeah. and there's a hundred people waiting behind you. That's, that's unfortunately the, well, the mentality more. you have to have, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think this, what's great about the business is, uh, the network that all of us have become friends, you know, that that's the part of it. When you first get in, you don't realize the reward of that, that you're mm. going to meet people that become like family forever. I always thought it would be more cutthroat. Me too. So I was always pleasantly surprised and you're going to find a few along the way. They're like, okay, um, I'll just avoid that particular person or they're maybe they're just on a path where they don't really have time to develop a relationship. And I totally get that, but I've just been continually impressed with how, uh, how kind people are to each other. And I think it's just the, the mutual, maybe the mutual grind. We all know what we're going through and we all know how hard we've worked to get to where we're at. So, yeah. And then the mutual interest, of course, of just loving baseball and uh, telling the stories. Yeah, no, I baseball's special. Like I I learned that right from the beginning that we're all very tight for those listening. I mean, we'll go out, you know, the the broadcasters when go on the road, you know, you you become really good friends, but it, it's it's truly a, a partnership where one guy goes up and uh, moves up in the world and everyone's happy for them. You know, it's not you know, I'm sure some people are, are get upset, but I've never really been like that. You know, yeah, you think- you might be envious, but you don't you're not Yeah. You know, yeah, mad I think at the person. That was yeah, that was a big hurdle for me when I was younger. Uh, like, you look at I think Alex Faust. I, I brought him up, calling Kings games and being mentioned for uh, maybe an Alex Trebek replacement on Jeopardy. I was like, wow, that is so impressive. And I some other people I know are like, ah oh, man, I mean, like jealous and but like, okay, was I gonna be mentioned for Jeopardy? <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? So yeah. it's it's cool to see. And I'll give you an example, like Ben Wagner for the uh, Buffalo Bisons for 10 years in AAA. Yeah. Then he gets the call to the Blue Jays. That's not like, why didn't I get that job? It's, oh, okay. So if you grind, you do a good job, there's a chance, you know, there's sure. a lot of people who might think it's a dead end position, but if you have at least examples to look to, I think for, for me, that, that can be an inspiring thing instead of a deterrent. Yeah. I think Matt Hicks, who was the Rangers broadcaster, he was in the minors for maybe 20 something years mm-hmm. for, for a long time. Yeah. John Sadak was in the monitors for a while, just became the voice of the, the reds on TV. So yeah, it, uh, yeah, there's like you say, more than one path to get there. You know, I, I do think during this pandemic that there's a lot of good that you can look at it happening. I mean, I'm not sure why we never thought of using zoom. 
for anything? It's it's really you know? interesting. It, well, because I bet your audio quality is probably better than over a phone on the podcast, right? Yeah. Um, it. I can't think of other examples why we would have used it earlier, but I don't mind it as much as I thought I would. And it's helping a lot of people get remote broadcasting experience as well, where like the Olympics, a lot of that is from a booth and yeah. in, in like Connecticut, I think. Uh, so that, that can help expand people a lot. So it, the, the one thing I, about the pandemic is I don't know how we made it from like March to September without like broadcasting all the time. You, you guys had an awesome setup. I thought I really enjoyed watching your, uh, uh, what do you call them? Taxi squad games or. Impact. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm going to toot my own horn because I came up with that, that Sim city. That was, oh, I nice. just said it one day on the air and I stuck. City. Yeah. I don't know why. I think I, I didn't, I didn't like saying alternate site. It sounded hmm. alternate site sounded like almost like a jail to me. <laughs> um, taxi squad reminded me of football. Hmm. Um, so I just said Sim city one day, but yeah, that was fantastic. And we did a lot of zoom post-game interviews and I noticed we had, you know, those were running before the Red Sox games and I could see who was on it and you had all the, the big league writers. And I thought the players and coaches were more, you know, and you would know this too from dealing with them with the interviews, they were way more open to it and they were better. I thought, because they're just looking at a computer. We put a computer in the clubhouse hmm. and I thought they were more revealing. I thought the, and cause I knew some of those guys from, you know, it's tough when you're in the clubhouse and you have five people around you. Mm-hmm. They're just staring at a computer screen. And I thought that content for the people that were on there, I thought they got better stuff. I wonder, I wonder if it's less intrusive for, a I player. think it is, even though that, even though that they, you know, there's 15 to 20 people on that zoom, but they don't see that. You right. Know? Ex- They're exactly. just looking straight ahead. And there's maybe there's less pressure on worried about saying the wrong thing. Um, and it's just to them, it's just one outlet instead of a dozen mics in your face. Okay. What's, what's that one going to go to? What story is that mic going to create? Yeah. Maybe they don't think that deeply about it, but yeah, it's interesting. And I, I think we're trying to put together some digital based and remote based uh, media availability this year. So I'm, I'm excited to try that out. I've told some teams uh, I would do that. I would, I would definitely do that instead because not just because it's easier. I would do it for this reason that it would be beneficial to your big league team. Uh, Toronto, you, you, they're always looking for content and say you had Vlad Bichette that were available at a certain time and they're, and they're just sitting in the clubhouse looking at the computer. I think they're more likely to do that than post game, but well, and, you could still do both, but well, you I could, just, you know, I think it's worth a shot. And I think you were one of the pioneers, at least conceptually, you wouldn't tell me how it would be executed because it was proprietary information, but of eliminating the stat pack. You, were, you had an idea to go all digital somehow? What was yeah. it, like a, a rent an iPad for a game? Or it was what called, do you think? I wanted to make this program called Corkboard, where it's a oh. digital corkboard, and you could literally just pin things up on that board. I love that. So you go, you go to a website on your phone, and you can see it all there? Or? Somehow make the stats portal corkboard um, accessible so that you just would literally put up what you wanted. Because yeah, I, I always see that the scouts, they all have tablets looking at something, a radar, I don't know what it is. So that it seems doable because that would uh, save a million trees a year probably and at least a, a million minutes on a game day with uh, all the printing we have to do. You so. could just drag what you wanted. You know, it'd be easier. I think, yeah. 
I like that. that. That's like the that. thing. Yeah. Drag what you want. Like a, a caf cafeteria stats. You yeah. Know? What do you think? Yeah. I'm into it. I'm, I mean, another great idea. So keep them coming. I do like your May 4th. That That's uh, <laughs> that's my favorite. Okay. So where's the ending goal? I, I think I know. Voice of the Knicks, right? Wow. Yeah. You nailed it. Well, look, I From mean. being around you, I know how much you loved it. Because you talk Knicks basketball during the baseball season. That's how I know. Oh, I see. well, you know, yeah, there's always there's always something on the calendar, right? Draft yeah. lottery, NBA draft, uh, uh, free agents all ignore the Knicks. You know, there's always uh, big spots on the calendar. Um, <laughs> I wish I had a good reason to, to justify why I'm so into the Knicks. Maybe it's because they've been so bad and I've been for some reason so loyal that I just want to make sure I'm there when they ever, I don't know, make it to the second round. So <laughs> it, it's a, uh, it's got, it's, it's fun to follow along, but, but yeah, I mean, basketball probably was the, the sport I played the most growing up and I, probably my, the sport I watched the most, maybe just because of the schedule, right? We don't get to watch a ton of True. baseball during the season. Um, and then for whatever reason, I think I had a, a nice setup with uh, BU women's hockey. When I first came back up North, I, I got to do three years with them from a, a bad broadcast angle in the back corner behind glass that was all scratched up and then behind a net. Uh, so I had to try really hard to be able to see what was going on and try to predict where the play would develop. So now that I'm doing men's hockey for Dartmouth and UMass at a nice central location with nothing in front of me, it, it seems that much easier. So that's, that's kind of been a, a, a fun thing to do, but sure. Yeah. If I could pick any job, I mean, voice of the Knicks. Sure. That's uh that's probably my, my favorite pro team to watch though. Tyler's got that big, booming voice, and he's not that old. He is a star in the making. Tyler is going to be uh, a big deal in this business, and I hope he is the voice of the New York Knicks down the road. Good stuff. Someone that I really respect, someone that I really care about, someone that I love. That's Tyler Murray. Another episode of Behind the Mic. Peace and love. I'll talk to